Okay, let's get this sorted first. Right, if you have Bibles with you, would you please open them at Matthew chapter 13? So I want to read four verses from Matthew chapter 13 and then help us to think about them. It's great to be with you. Uh, The last time we were here was two years ago, just the week before lockdown. Uh, We have kept in touch with Rich about how you're all doing and so on, but it's good to be here in the flesh and hope to be able to talk to you before the morning's out. Um, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 31. He told them another parable or another story. The kingdom of heaven, and another phrase for the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. So I found it interesting that Rich gave the introduction to me this morning. When he first turned up in our church in Oxford, I was speaking about the kingdom of God. I still am, and I'll tell you why I am. And that's because Jesus did. Jesus, whom we love and worship and have been worshipping, he spoke lots about the kingdom of God to a people who were caught in a trap of sort of religion and rules. Jesus came with a whole new message, uh, which was about what happens when God really becomes king of your life, my life, and when he becomes king in the nations of this world, everything is transformed. Everything looks different. And so he taught constantly about what the king, what it's like when God's in charge of your life. What is it like when you've got a relationship with the king, the Lord of the heavens and the earth, a God who knows everything about you, is concerned about your life, wants to invade it with his presence and make you into a different person. Uh, What's that like? So uh, here we are again with some verses about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of seeds, it probably isn't exactly the smallest seed these days. There are smaller ones, for any of you who are sort of scientists or botanists or something, but it was the smallest one known in Jesus' day. Though it is the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told them still another story about the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. I have 
a book on my bookshelf at home. I have several bookshelves at home, but I have one book on my bookshelf which is entitled The Mustard Seed Conspiracy. We have lots of conspiracy theories around, theorists around at the moment, don't we? But we won't really talk about them. But this is about the mustard seed conspiracy. The thrust of this book goes like this. God wants to do something really, really big in the nations of this earth. So big and so all-encompassing that it infiltrates all of society and influences every nation. He wants people to know in every nation that God is king of the earth and he also wants to be king of their lives. That's the sort of kingdom Jesus came to establish in the earth when he came. The coming of Jesus was not accidental. It was intentional. It was God's plan to bring a new kingdom into the earth, a breath of fresh air, not like the kingdoms of this earth, not with leaders who force their will upon you, but a king uh, run by a kingdom who is good and loving and caring and just wants to improve your lives, bless your lives and mine by our voluntarily giving ourselves to him. It says in the Bible that he wants to fill everything. This is in Ephesians chapter 1. He wants to fill everything with the knowledge of himself. And he wants to fill the whole earth with his glory. That's prophesied twice in the Old Testament. The most famous which is in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 where it says, and God will fill the whole earth with his glory. Now I want to ask you this morning, do you believe that? <laughs> it's very quiet. Or do you think the church will always be small and not very influential, that really this world is run by politicians, definitely not by the people of God. Do you think, it seems like in some places in the world that the church is really under siege. If you read about persecuted Christians, that Christians are persecuted in many nations. I'll tell you why. Because, because the kingdoms of this earth know that there's another kingdom coming which is going to change everything. But the question is, do you believe it? Or is God just a personal king for you? Somebody with whom you have a personal life, a personal relationship that will make your life better but won't really change the world. Now, lots of Christians, I want to tell you this, have a small vision of God. They have, they do believe in God and 
They do believe that God makes a difference, and if we pray to Him and <laughs> commit things to Him in prayer, He changes things in our lives, but they're not so sure that He is going to fill the earth with His glory, that He wants to change nations. What do you think? Isaiah chapter 2 says this, God's mountain, or the mountain of the Lord, will be exalted above every other mountain. That means if you compare religions as sort of mountains side by side, God's mountain, Yahweh's mountain, <laughs> Jesus's mountain, it's all the same thing, will be higher than every other there's lots of ways that people try to find to work their lives out, but the mountain of the Lord will be exalted above every other mountain, and the nations of the earth will stream up to it. In other words, God's looking for a kingdom and determined to establish a kingdom in which faith in Him is bigger than any other faith that there may be around, whether it's faith in secular uh, knowledge or whether it's faith in other spiritual religions. Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 14 says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. I need to tell you this is one reason why Personally, I pray for revival regularly with my wife. We pray for revival regularly, for God to do something bigger than this world has yet seen, because God wants to fill the earth with His glory. It says in Ephesians chapter 1 that he, Jesus wants to fill everything with His presence. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. When Rich says that morning, when he first heard somebody talking about the kingdom of God, he was captivated by it. It's because this is not just a small message about your life being blessed because you know Jesus. But it's a big picture portrayal of what God wants to do in the earth. He wants to change nations. And, boy, do the nations of this earth need changing. And I need to hold myself back, rein myself back for make, about making too many political comments or whatever it may be, but what's happening in our nation is really not very encouraging. What's happening in the political world is not very encouraging. What's happening in the United States is not very encouraging. And you could go around and name many other nations. It's not very encouraging. What's happening in Russia and Ukraine is not very encouraging. It's not, it's, doesn't inspire you with great confidence for the future. But there is a king who wants to change all of that as people come to him. And so... The question I'm wanting to ask you this morning is, how big is your vision? And do you understand that Jesus may have come like a tiny mustard seed when he visited the earth as a baby, grew up as a man, called a handful of disciples to himself, 
but he had a big vision that these disciples would grow and multiply and impact nations to change nations everywhere with the knowledge of his presence. This was God's conspiracy to change the face of the earth by coming himself as a king. He doesn't look like a king, a baby in a manger, but the wise men came from the east and said, where is he who was born king? And he was going to show himself to be not only king of the Jews, but king of the nations as the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to be talking on two levels this morning because I want you to understand that there's something personal we have to do to respond to this big vision and something that we're looking forward to which is much bigger than anything we've seen. And somehow we live with this tension that we're in you know we see God wants to do something very personal with our lives something big with our lives I hope you think that God wants to do something with you big with your life but he wants to do something big with the nations as well a couple of months ago Lorraine and I were privileged to go to the funeral of a dear lady who was a very good friend of ours her name is Chrissy Chapman Chrissy Chapman grew up in Manchester uh, in the sort of downtown city part of Manchester. She was a, you know, just a straightforward Manchester girl uh, who spoke bluntly, like Manchester people do. Um, well, northerners do. Uh, and um, uh, she trained as a nurse and then as a midwife. Um, but had the feeling that God wanted to use her in something slightly bigger than just delivering babies in a hospital in, Man in Manchester. She ended up going to a Bible college because she just wanted to learn more about Jesus and about the Bible. Um, and while there, bumped into somebody from Burundi who was at this Bible college. And through their friendship, she ended up going to the nation of Burundi uh, to be a, uh, a midwife in a sort of mountainous area just outside of Bujumbura, the capital of Burundi. Um, just a short time after she arrived in this nation, it erupted into a civil war with tribe killing tribe. It was very nasty, very difficult. And at that time, all Western missionaries left. They were all evacuated by their countries. And everybody said to Chrissy, so are you going to leave us too? And Chrissy said, no, I'm not. God called me here and I'm staying. And in the midst of this civil war, she ends up sort of, it's a, it's a long story, but gathering babies that had been born and then orphaned. 
And so she starts off in the city of Bujumbura, an orphanage for these babies that have been orphaned. And then she starts off a nursery school because the babies have to sort of have some, uh, you know, early years education. Then she starts off a primary school. Then she starts off a secondary school. This is the sort of person that Chrissy was. She stayed when others left. She saw a need. Uh, and, you know, she just did remarkable things. And we loved her. One of her daughters, the same age as one of our daughters. And, uh, and when we went on camps together, Lydia came with us. And so, you know, she was part of our family uh, for some of the time. So we had quite a good relationship with this dear Lady Chrissy, and, and after several struggles with health issues, she ended up dying of cancer last year and went to be with the Lord. The Thanksgiving service for Chrissy was one of the most moving uh, Thanksgiving I've been to for a long time. Um, and she had three adopted children of these sort of 57 that orphans that she gathered together and housed. Uh, three of them she adopted as her own children. So her three adopted children was there. We met Lydia again, uh, this lovely uh, daughter who we'd known many years ago. And, uh, and several of her adopted children beamed in video uh, tributes to Chrissy Chapman. It was deeply, deeply moving. When Chrissy spoke about herself, she said, yeah, she said, I'm a single mum of 57 children by 57 men. <laughs> that's, that's, the sort of, that's the sort of thing that Chrissy used to, used to say. When I said she speaks bluntly, she spoke bluntly. And, and time and time, and she had no money, you know, but she prayed that God would provide she, you know, she prayed for protection for these kids. She prayed for miracles. Uh, one of the kids who came to her uh, had AIDS, was an AIDS child. Chrissy didn't know what else to do except to pray that the AIDS would be broken in this, <laughs> in this kid's life. Um, let's see if I can get this a bit tighter. Um, Pray for the AIDS to be broken and, and for her to be healed. She was dramatically healed of AIDS and she was there at this, at this funeral. Um, just re remarkable, remarkable stories. And, you know, she needed money, she prayed for it. God provided it. It was just hand over fist, miraculous answers to prayer because she believed in a big God. And she believed that the God that she had come to trust and love you know, could do remarkable things. And so she prayed big prayers and she got big answers to prayer because she believed that she was there for the Lord. But it wasn't because of her. She was a dead, ordinary girl. But God used her for powerful things. One of her um, orphans, girls, sent, you know, did a recording for this funeral service and she listed all the things that Chrissy had taught her as a child, you know, about trusting in God, walking with Jesus, knowing God as king, etc., etc. And the final thing I need to say about Chrissy was that she had a belligerent faith. 
I love that phrase, got hold of me. I thought, I think Rich could have some belligerent faith. You know, I could have some, uh, Kate could have some belligerent faith. We need people. We need people with belligerent faith. And you can have belligerent faith. You may be an ordinary person from I don't know where, but the mustard seed conspiracy is to start very small with ordinary people. And now there were 57 of these orphans saying, we know God because of Chrissy. Our lives were changed because of Chrissy. Uh, everything's different because of Chrissy. You could do that. You could do that. You could do that. Uh, the next story I want to share is a little bit from history, but it's a very, very well-known one. A guy from Germany called Count von Zinzendorf was just 10, year, ten years old, just a schoolboy, when with five friends he formed a club called the Order of the Grain of the Mustard Seed. Now this is amazing. At 10 years old, he understood something about this mustard seed conspiracy. That God starts small, but wants to do big things. These schoolboys were committed to pray and to witness at their school to everyone they could that Jesus Christ was had power to touch and transform their lives. They committed themselves to draw together other Christians in fellowship, especially to help those who were suffering for their faith, and to take the gospel of Jesus Christ overseas. They were young people with a big vision. Young people with a big vision. Richard testified at 21 of suddenly having his vision transformed from just being a Christian whose life Jesus had blessed to being part of something much, much bigger. It's why he and Kate are here leading this church. They both have that vision. They developed into a whole group called the Moravians, which had a massive worldwide missionary influence. And one in seven of all Moravians moved to other nations to share the good news of Jesus and the life and forgiveness that he offers. What were the principles? of the Moravians. I'd like to share some of them with you. First of all, prayer. They believed that they could pray, they could pray big prayers to a God who answers big prayers. It wasn't just domestic prayers about, Lord, please bless me in my exams, help me get this week's assignment done. Uh, and I'm not poo-pooing that. God wants to help you do all of those things. 
He wants to help families with their family. He wants to help ordinary people with their jobs. He wants to move in. In every area of our lives, Jesus wants to move in. So, there's nothing wrong with praying the prayers for those domestic parts of our life. But they understood that Jesus wanted to do something far bigger. And here was the prayer they prayed. And they decided to have a 24... A 24-hour prayer meeting, they started a 24-hour prayer meeting, and they were going to go and pray and pray and pray this same prayer every day. And here's the prayer they prayed. That the Lamb, that is Jesus, may receive the reward of his sufferings. In other words, everything he died for, may Jesus receive the fruit of that. This prayer meeting lasted for a hundred years. They then started to send missionaries to as varied places as Greenland and the West Indies, America and Africa. And here's a thing. I learned from Rich and Kate yesterday that there's a Moravian sort of influence in Leeds. So somehow these Moravians must have ended up in Leeds as well and planted something in Leeds. I haven't done the research on the history yet. I meant to look it up overnight and forgot. Uh, but there you are. They even touched Leeds. These missionaries were self-supporting. They didn't expect to be paid by churches or whatever it was. They were self-supporting. In fact, it was suggested to them the place they needed to go was to the local marketplace, start businesses, and work in the marketplace, and that way they would get known as people who were faithful and reliable. So, in other words, the people were working people. They were simply to preach the gospel of the love of God, not heavy theology. And here's a phrase I really love. Missionaries were seen to be the assistants of the Holy Spirit. In, a, in other words... And this, this I heard Rich and Kate talk about several times. You've probably heard it. I hope you've heard it. Uh, that God is already working and we're joining him in the work. Uh, God is touching people with his love. We're just helping people to understand that. We too are assistants of the Holy Spirit. And perseverance was a more important yardstick than fruitfulness. Interesting. William Carey, who was one of the first missionaries ever to India, uh, it was 10 years before he got his first convert. He founded schools, established universities, you know, eventually changed the nation by the message that uh, he brought, but it took him 10 years to get, to get his first convert. Now look, this is what I'm trying to say to you. We have a large task before us in the spiritual desert of UK and Europe and other nations of the world. Let me tell you a story about a young man who was part of our church in Oxford. His name was Ben Price. Uh, ben was a student uh, in Oxford University. Was reading engineering because it's what he liked best, but he didn't really know why he was doing it. And after one Sunday morning meeting, he was sort of sitting around on the, at the side of the sort of meeting hall that we were in, and 
he wasn't the most sociable of character. I mean, he was sort of one of these extroverts who can always talk to anybody. He was one of those who feel just slightly, you know. And so he's sitting on the edge and sort of just thinking about, you know, anything. And this guy comes up to him, a very good friend of ours called Len. And, but Len wasn't a small talker either, but he had been a missionary in Pakistan for 14 years. And Len says to Ben, so, what are you doing with the rest of your life? No, just a small question over coffee sort of thing, you know. And Ben says to Len, I haven't got a clue. Some of you might identify with this. You're studying something, but what for? Do you know? Well, we often don't know. Uh, we just feel drawn to a particular area, and so... Ben says, I don't know. So Len says to him, so what, what are you studying? He says, engineering, Len says to him. Do you know that God can use engineers, especially in the developing world, to provide water for people who don't have water? And you could share the love of God in one of those nations as well. Well, this was a mustard seed that was sown into Ben's life and he started to dream. Anyway, he ended up going to West Africa in an Islamic nation, I have to say, and uh, he started doing some basic engineering and uh, he was sharp because he found a way of, you know, producing water much more simply than, you know, some of the drilling that was going on and all the rest of it. And eventually he bumps into a girl who's working there, an American girl, uh, who has a heart for the people group that they're working amongst the Fulani people. And uh, they get married. They base themselves in West Africa. They have seen many people come to Christ. Communities of... Christians established in that nation. They provided water for whole communities and they've seen God do remarkable things. The mustard seed. God wants to plant some small ideas maybe even in your minds. We've got a large, I was just about to say, we've got a large task before us in the spiritual desert of UK and Europe, other nations of the world, we need to start thinking bigger than God just blessing our domestic lives. There's no rebuke in that because God wants to bless your domestic lives, but we've got to start thinking bigger than that. We can't be content as Christians who've understood that Jesus came as the seed of the kingdom to plant something of God's kingdom that was going to change nations. We can't be content with what we're living in now, we have to think bigger. We can't be content with our churches just the size they are in the growing communities that they're in, whereas there is so much deprivation but also lack of the knowledge of a God who loves people. We must think bigger. This church must be the first of many more, alongside other churches that are already established in the city.
And we definitely can't be content with our own comfortable and selfish spirituality. We must think bigger if we're kingdom people. And here's the question really, is your God just your domestic helper? Or are you part of his growing kingdom which is going to impact nations? Now I want to suggest to you this morning, by the way this is the first of two talks on vision for the future. We've come out of lockdown and we're trying to refocus on God's vision for community church leads. (laughs) Okay. Now, I'm doing the big picture, and Rich is going to fill in all the details next week. Um, I want to suggest to you that the king, God's kingdom starts with people who are prepared to think big. And my challenge to you this morning, it is a challenge, is how big are you thinking about your life? You could start a little choir here. John? It's John, isn't it? John Lee. John John Lee. I heard John. Behind masks, it's hard to know what people are saying sometimes. Okay. But is there a bigger vision? Well, it's not a rebuke. It's just a sort of, you know, could that be used somewhere else for God's kingdom somewhere? Is it time to start thinking big? And I want to suggest it's time that we need to put aside smallness of vision and what we're doing currently because God wants to do far more than we've yet seen or can even imagine to get his kingdom out into this earth now and this is what I see that this church is like a seed bed of kingdom people God wants to plant you may thought well this was just a useful church to come to it seemed nice and lively, people welcoming and all the rest of it. I'll just make my home there. But I want to tell you that God had another vision. And it was for you to be infected with the kingdom of God while you're here. So that wherever you go in the future, you take the kingdom with you. And you infect other communities and see God's kingdom planted in other communities. And you have a little idea about your future career and God has a big idea about infecting people around you with his kingdom and with his love and one person Chrissy Chapman I'm just a midwife 57 kids who are alive with faith in Jesus to touch communities for him it's a powerful picture so I've got to bring this into land now and um, know I need to finish very soon. So how do we see the kingdom grow where we are? Number one, think big, very big. Resist smallness of mind, smallness of vision, smallness of heart and self-effacing modesty. I was saying to the leaders those aspiring to lead that we were talking to yesterday morning. Lorraine and I are basically just ordinary people. She's a bumpkin from a village in Oxfordshire. Grew, grew up in a, hates cities. 
Uh, sorry, I'm sorry, that's not good news for many of you, I know. But anyway, you know, let me tell you something. She knows far more about God's world of creation and birds and all the rest of it than I ever knew growing up in Liverpool, a city where all we had was sparrows. Uh, you know, um, she the bumpkin. I grew up as a city boy in the toxic area of uh, Liverpool, just an ordinary guy. Today, by the grace of God, we've planted churches in this nation, sent people to other nations have family teams on four continents by the grace of God. It's nothing to do with us. It's not to do with giftedness. What, what God wants to do with us is not to do with our giftedness. It's to do with his kingdom. But it is released by big vision and limited by small vision. So somehow that something needs to change. So we've got to think big, very big. Perhaps we can think of groups of prayer within businesses, workplaces, schools and colleges, dreaming together of God changing those organisations. Just think for a moment of the business that you work in and what it could look like if God changed it, if God moved in. Well, it would look different. Your boss would look different. Uh, the atmosphere would be different. Everything would be different. We've got a dream of God transforming the place where we work because we're lights in a dark place, but we're breathing different air. Uh, we've got to think of ourselves as individuals giving ourselves to clear and determined discipleship and training in order to be the best we can be for God. Our being here is not accidental, but intentional for God. You may not have intended all of God that God's going to do, but he has intentions in your being here. We need to think of small groups determined to reach out more clearly to friends all around them with the love and good news of Jesus. And we need to go on thinking of social action that demonstrates practically that God cares for people. Secondly, we need to pray some big prayers. Don't be afraid of praying big prayers. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we can ask or imagine according to his power at work in us. In other words, it's not about our giftedness. It's about what he wants to do in us and through us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, something that multiplies through generations forever and ever. Amen. Think big. Pray big prayers. Thirdly, understand this principle, and this is one of Chrissy Chapman's message titles. I heard her preach this message, and one or two others in this room probably did as well, at one of our summer camps in the Salt and Light family. The message was, one can make a difference. You may think God needs an army, you know, but actually he needs one person submitted to him, and you can make a difference in God's world just like Chrissy Chapman did.
one can make a difference. And that's a bit intimidating because we don't like being on our own. But when we've got this mustard seed conspiracy sussed, we understand that even we can see big things happen. And fourthly, understand the power of togetherness. Jesus sent out his, even despite what I've said about one can make a difference, because we need to get that in our minds somewhere. We need to understand the power together. Jesus sent out his disciples two by two. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, it says two are better than one. It gets read at lots of marriage services. It's not talking about marriage. It applies to marriage, but it's not talking about it. It's talking about the principle of two-ness. When you work with someone else, you feel more encouraged, <laughs> strengthened. You know, your company is good for one another, etc. Two are better than one. And, now here's my final thing, we... <laughs> need to understand this together thing is about being sent out together. When Jesus came to the mustard seed conspiracy, about to bring in the kingdom, he calls 12 disciples. Luke chapter 9, he sends out the 12. Send them out. Go. Go into the villages and the towns. Well, I suppose it must have been cities as well, but I did notice this morning as I was reading, it's villages and towns. <laughs> Go start somewhere. I started in a village. That's why I met Rain. Uh, started ministry in a village, then towns, then cities. Now, what I'm saying is, he starts by sending 12 out. That's in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 10, he sends out 72. We don't really know where these 72 came from, but he must have been training them all the time. They were sort of the next level of disciples, and he sends out 72. Sends them out together, two by two after his resurrection. So he starts by sending them out to Israel. After his resurrection, he sends them out into all the world, all the nations. Together we can accomplish far more than any of us can accomplish individually. And I want to encourage you to dream, envision yourselves, talk together about the big things God wants to do in this city. It's not just a passing place for some of you to come and train. There's big things he wants to do in this city. Pray together. Pray big prayers. Talk. Go. Be sent. If there's a pioneering work to do in some area of the city, say to Rich and Kate, here am I, send me. Whoa. It'd be nice for you to be overrun with volunteers. Believe in the mustard seed and the mustard speed seed conspiracy, the power of leaven to change the whole lump of the dough. God wants to influence everything, everywhere with the knowledge and love of his son Jesus and change the world through the presence of his kingdom. Now, just as we finish, I want to pray for different ones of you. And I'm going to invite you to stand in response to one of the things I'm going to suggest if you want me to pray for you for this particular blessing from the Lord. I want to pray this morning, because I feel God wants to do something new in some of you, for people here who think I'm not very important and I can't do very much. I won't do anything great. I'm one of God's little people. I want to say to you that's how Lorraine thought about herself. 
and can still be tempted to think about herself, but she is regarded by many in different nations as a spiritual mother who's injected prophetic vision and God's care into their lives. But basically, you undervalue yourselves. I want to pray for you this morning because I want God to change something in you. And if you want God to change that self-effacing modesty in you, I'm going to invite you to stand in a moment. I want to pray for some of you who just don't know why you're here. Uh, Who wonder why God's placed you where you are, at work, in your studies. (laughs) You just happened you know, to get your job or your place at uni or whatever it was, but you still don't know why you're here. I want to pray for you that God would start to speak to you about his purposes for you here and his big purposes in the plan of God. I want to pray for some people here who know their vision is far too small. You think the church is always going to be small and struggling, but the superpowers of the nations aren't going to be changed by the kingdom. Well, church history teaches us something different. I haven't got time to go into that now. Uh, but, you know, if you know your ideas are far too small and you need God to give you a bigger vision, I want to pray for you. And I want to pray for some of you who know that your prayers are not very big or effective. Uh, a few months ago, I picked up this quote from a dear, dear lady called Corrie ten Boom, who... Uh, you know, had a calling to hide Jewish uh, people in the Netherlands during the Second World War uh, and, you know, was a great servant of the Lord. And she, she said this, when you walk on the earth, you walk in the area of difficulties and impossibilities. When you start to pray, you enter the realm where everything is possible. Can I just repeat that? Because that is very powerful. When you walk on the earth, you walk in the air of difficulties and impossibilities. When you start to pray, you enter the realm where everything is possible. God's looking for prayers like that. Now, if you're in any of these brackets, I'm going to invite you to stand because I want just to pray for you and for God to change something in your life. This isn't to expose you, but to say, I need this, and I'm standing for prayer, and I'm standing for change. So, if you want a particular touch from God in one of these areas, get rid of that rotten modesty that limits you, wondering what you're doing here, smallness of vision, or growing in prayer effectiveness, stand up please, because I just want to pray with you now. Well, Heavenly Father, thank you that you have a plan and purpose for every single one of our lives, and it's to be touched by your love in such a way that we can touch the lives of others and see this world transformed because of the love of Christ. Now... Lord, I want to pray for my precious brothers and sisters who are standing before you especially. Lord, where there are people, individuals who think I'm not very important, 
who undervalue themselves and the gifts you put in them. I want to pray that you would change that now in the mighty name of Jesus. And transform that self-limiting vision into understanding that you, by your Spirit, are able to do great things through them. I want to pray, Lord, for those who don't know why they're here, what they're doing here, or where they're going. That's understandable, but I pray that you would start to speak to them of your purposes for their lives and the plans that you have for them, and I pray that in Jesus' name. I pray for some who just need to see a bigger vision of you touching the world. I pray for an expansion of people's vision here in the name of Jesus. And I really want to pray, Lord, that this will become a church where people pray big prayers, where they dream big dreams, and that this church does become a seed bed of mustard seeds that are carried into all sorts of places of work, places of social engagement, places of study, and places of influence in this nation for the glory and praise of God. Would you establish them and cause them to pray these big prayers that see situations around them broken down by the love of Jesus. And I pray this for the glory of your name, King Jesus. Amen.